Hey everyone, James Labrie from Dream Theater, and you're listening to or watching the podcast Talking Into Infinity with JT and Brian. Enjoy this. These guys are extremely informative. I love their dialogue. I love their interpretation of the songs, who and what we are, what we were going after. They're very uh, accurate in their uh, interpretations and descriptions. And uh, just I just think this is a great show. And these guys are doing a, a stand-up stellar job. So once again, enjoy Talking Into Infinity with JT and Brian. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater-centric podcast. I am your host, John. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, and the CMSNetwork.com. We are live at those four locations every other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you'd like to catch video replays of the show, just check out our YouTube channel or the YouTube channel of the CMS Network. And if you'd like to download audio versions of the show, just Google Talking Into Infinity Podcast. And our newest feature, if you would like to call in during the show and take part live, just go to tii.cmspn.com and we can bring you on screen and you can throw in your two cents live for the whole world to see or hear. Whichever you prefer. You don't have to turn your camera on. So, uh, going to be a good show tonight. Uh, Brian is not here. He's actually out in St. Louis doing some family stuff with his mom. So, hopefully he's having a good time out there and everything's going well. But we do have a very special guest coming in to co-host with me tonight. Uh, we let him pick the topic. He has been on the show a few times before. He's a very good friend of the show. And you guys might know him as the uh, artistic genius, I think we can call him, Uh who designed the last two stage setups for Dream Theater's tours for Distance Over Time and A View from the Top of the World. And he also did the music videos for A View from the Top of the World, as well as John Petrucci's phenomenal solo record, Terminal Velocity. You know him, you love him, our good buddy, Mr. Wayne Joyner. What is up, man? Good to see you. What's going on, dude? Thanks for having me. Anytime, man, anytime. It's, it's awesome because like when Brian and I have guests on, we like to try and bring them back. And be like, all right, you want to just do like an episode that's like, you know, something for fun for yourself. And yeah. so we thought about you. And then I was like, is there a record that you would deep dive? And immediately you were like, oh, dude, Cowboys from Hell. I was like, yes, Pantera. I haven't gotten to dig into a Pantera record yet. So I was really <laughs> stoked when you suggested that. So. Dude, and it's a hard one to pick because they're all good. You know, I was like, Cowboys or Vulgar, which, but, you know, Cowboys is the first one. So, yeah, we, we might have to do it. Yeah, we might have to do a series of these with you. Just deep dive the entire catalog and just have you on Let's to do, do all <laughs> do all five of them. So, uh, so what 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 is your history with Pantera? Because I know I know you're a guitar player, so obviously there's right. got to be a dime bag connection. But, um, like, how did you first discover the band, and like, how did you you know become a fan of of the of the of, the, of Pantera? So I guess I would say uh, I was a freshman in high school, uh, like four years ago. So like, <laughs> nice. Back in the '90s. Um, uh, Cemetery Gates is the song that got me into metal. You know, I, a friend of mine had the cassette tape for, for Cowboys. And, uh, I mean, I've, I heard some Anthrax and Megadeth and stuff before that. But, I mean, being a freshman in high school, I'm like, you know, what is this shit? You know? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, but, you know, and I heard Cemetery Gates and I'm like, dude, this, this is legit. This is real stuff. 
so uh, no, that's that was my gateway metal song. So after that, you know, I just kind of the album just kind of stuck with me, and you know, picking up guitar and learning guitar in the '90s, and you know, it just was the the holy grail of guitar music at the right. time. When, along with that, you know, Rust in Peace and Images and Words and stuff like that. But you know, Dimebag just had this gnarly sound that you know yeah. made me pick up a guitar. So it, he's that one guy that's like was never shy about the fact that he played solid state stuff instead of the right, the right. you know the t- tube things and it was like man like that stuff is so like and I'm not a gearhead by any means but I, I at least know the difference between the two and I was right. like man like everybody else is like ah oh, fuck solid state it sounds so tinny and you know you need that warmth in the body of tubes he's like nope nope not no. at all it sounded good too man you know I think I think the solid state thing for him really uh, helped with a lot of the squeals. And yes. He's, I mean, you just have this like cold ice pick sound when you do that on solid state. So I think that was kind of a secret weapon for him a little bit. Yeah. So did did you get to see the band live at that time or? Uh, no, I've never seen Pantera live. It was a little bit before my time. You know, um, uh, I did have an opportunity to see Damage Plan. I guess when when they first were doing their thing and they were only playing mm-hmm. 10, 15, 20 people, and. Uh, you know, I had an opportunity to go see those guys. Those, you know, maybe like twenty years ago. And uh, this was in November of I think two thousand and four. Yeah. And I was just like super lazy. I'm like, you know, I don't feel like going out tonight. I don't feel like waiting in line to go into a show. And they came and played here at the Masquerade in Atlanta, a really small club. And you know, a month later, we got the news: Don Bag was shot. So I'm like, oh man. And ever since then, I'm like, man, I'm so kicking myself. You know, I never. I will never have the opportunity again. Yeah. It's, it's kind of cool. Like, you know, I, I saw them several times back in the day. I, I, my first shows were on the, uh, trend kill tour. Okay. And, um, my stepson, he, he loves everything. Like his two favorite bands are the Beatles and Slipknot. So, you know, he likes everything (laughs) in between. Yeah. So, but he was a huge Pantera guy and he, you know, he's, he's 21, be 22 next month. So, you know, he, he basically, you know, was a couple years old when when dime was killed so he obviously never had a chance to see him and it's the one like i always take him to stuff that he would enjoy or if he like really likes a band and none of his friends are into it like i I go with him and you know i've always told him the one band that i'm so sad that i could never take you to see was pantera right so it's you know it's it's not obviously not going to be the same with charlie and zach but at least you know to to hear phil and rex and just the power of those songs in a live environment is just staggering man like they're just so huge yeah i mean you still got phil singing so that still does it for me you know yeah phil is probably one of the top three greatest metal singers of all time mm-hmm. so i mean as, as much as Dimebag was you know like the the driving force behind the band really phil's voice made it for me you know some of those like during on, on cowboys from hell where he's like going up into another octave and yeah. like, that's badass yeah, he it's it. His vocals on that record are so un. I think they're unappreciated because everyone's so used to what he turned into, right? And, and also, people. I, I I think it is kind of like one of those things where it's because it's stuck between their their like glam era and mm-hmm. and what he became. I think people still kind of associate it more with the glam stuff and you know, oh he's trying to do the Rob Halford or whatever, and they kind of discredit it without kind of stopping to think like 
he put down some kick-ass vocals on this on on this Cowboys from Hell record, man. That's the only record that he does that on too. Like mm-hmm. the screams like like the end of Cal, uh, Cemetery Gates. Like, yep. dude, that's that's what really like kind of makes the record for me too is Phil's voice. You know, he's yeah. on all of them, but Cowboys especially. He's he's showing out. So. Yeah, I totally agree, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. For for me, I. I I wasn't into Pantera at first because it was a lot heavier than what I was listening to, but it was 92 when Vulgar had come out, and I was kind of jamming with a guy. He was a guitar player. I was playing drums, and we were, he uh, he didn't have a car, and I did, so he's like, hey, i got to go to the mall. i got to buy this new record that came out. So go to the mall, and he buys Vulgar. He's like, I'm like, who is this? And I looked at the cover. I was like, wow, this dude's getting punched in the face. All right, I know what kind of music this is. Um and he's like, oh, you got to hear this crap. Turn it up. So we, you know, my my shitty little Ford Escort, man, popped the cassette in and turned and it turned up. And I was like, what in the, you know? Right. And at that at that point, I wasn't used to like the screamer stuff, really. I mean, I was I was a Slayer fan, but I was like, and it it didn't really grab me until a few years later. I was like, okay, this is cool, this is cool. And the more I started digging into playing guitar and you know drums and like kind of getting into being an actual musician, I think is when it really started to hit me. And it was like how heavy it was but how different it was and so i really got hooked i really got hooked on, on him and it was like you know i i had to go back and find cowboys because i listened to vulgar obviously the most as a lot of people have and then you know i checked out um uh, uh far beyond driven and then obviously really got into them around 96 because my girlfriend at the time was huge into pantera right uh so Oh, <laughs> all right. I, I do got to tell you this one. Okay. So Chris Aiken, hope your arm's feeling okay, buddy. Uh, so he's Chris Aiken says, you have to tell you're getting fired for pizza, getting fired from pizza job for Pantera story. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll make this quick Wayne. but this is like, I actually got fired because of Pantera. Oh. So I was, um, I was delivering pizza as a side job and it was, uh, uh, for, the year that uh, 101 Proof came out, I think, was the the release they were doing. Um, or was it Reinventing the Steel? A- Aiken, tell me if it was Reinventing the Steel, that 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 uh, that thing at the Exchange, or if it was 101 Proof. But in either case, so my buddy Aiken, he was doing a radio program here in Cleveland called The Metal Show, and it was Sunday nights, and it was like you know the highest rated program we had. And he, you know, he ran a music magazine called Music's Bottom Line, and he got in touch. Uh, he was actually he was actually really friendly with the Pantera guys. So he hooked up an in-store with Pantera uh, when they were in town. And so there's actually going to be footage of this if the Pantera Home Video Part 4 comes out. Like, he's had to sign releases and shit like that to actually have footage of this thing. Because there was, like, they were expecting a couple hundred people. There had to be, like, 2,000. I mean, it was damn near a riot because the band was late. All right, okay, he said it's for 101 Proof. Okay, so the band was late, so everyone's just going completely, completely bonkers. And um, everyone's getting drunk and smoking weed, and you know they got a PA out there, and Chris is trying to calm people down but still keep it rocking. Well, he hits me up. I was I was delivering pizza one city over that night, and he was like, "Hey man, are you working?" I was like, "Yeah, what's up?" He's like, "Dude, I got Pantera here. They just rolled in. They're really late and they're hungry. Can you bring them pizza?" And I was like, "Fuck yeah, I can bring Pantera pizza." <laughs> so like, I went. You know, I mean, I, I made up like I don't know, like three cheese or and three peppers. I remember it was six pizzas. So I go rolling over to the exchange and I, you know, walk up there with the pizza and, and Aiken's like, oh, thanks, man, whatever. He's like, you want to meet Pantera? I was like, what? And they hadn't opened the doors yet. So he's like, go for it, man. And he handed me a copy of his magazine. And I walked in and I was the third person in line. 
And it was just the first table was Vinny and then Dime. And, and Dime was just the coolest. It's the only time I got to meet him, but he was as cool as everybody says. Dude, that's uh, the best story ever, man. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was amazing. And then like Rex and Phil were kind of standoffish as, as you know, their reputation kind of says there. Yeah. So I get I get my I still have the magazine. It says uh, I got the whole band to sign it. And Dimebags as Daryl says hi, but he spelled it H-I-G-H. Like <laughs> so they were just the coolest coolest people and i'll never forget going up there and talking to dimes like i was i'd never really met a rock star before so my hand was literally shaking like this when i was handing handing him the marker in the magazine so anyway fast forward uh, a couple days later and i i was i i worked like a I, my shift was generally like monday wednesday i want to say and then saturday morning and so i go to work and i check the schedule for the next week and all my shifts are erased and i was like well, that's kind of weird. So I went to the manager and I was like, yeah, I think I think someone's messing with the schedule. Like my shifts are raised. He goes, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, we forgot to call you. Like, yeah, we, we don't need you next week. And I was like, okay, is everything? He goes, actually, yeah, we're, we don't need you anymore, actually. We, you're, you're fired. And I went, <laughs> fired? What the hell for? And he goes, stealing pizza. I'm like, when did I steal pizza? He's like, your last shift, you took like six pies. And I went, Oh wait a minute, man! Like, cause people took pizza all the time, but there was this there was this one chick that was trying to work her way up to management, and she was doing it by stepping on people and like tattling. So apparently, she was working that night. Told everybody that I took six pizzas. <laughs> so, oh. so delivering pizza to Pantera got my ass canned from my side job. <laughs> so that is like the best story I've ever. Had. <laughs> I know. It, and that's what I said too. It's like, well, if I'm gonna lose my if I'm gonna lose my gig, at least do it. it with, with a cool story like that so um but so all right man well, why don't we why don't we dig into cowboys here um we uh, brian and i we do these track by track and kind of give our thoughts you know on everything and um one thing i wanted to bring up first and it's kind of a pantera general note before we kind of get into this here when i was listening back to the record i, I realized something about this is really something about their entire discography have you noticed that all of the Pantera records really, like, the, the side two is the weird side, and side one has all of the hits and the the popular, more accessible stuff. Like, I I didn't realize that till I was listening back to this. I was like, okay, we got Cowboys from Hell, we got, you know, uh, you know, we got Primal Concrete Sledge and Cemetery Gates and Domination, and the second half gets kind of weird. I went, wait a minute, Vulgar's got all the hits on the front side. Then I thought about Far Beyond. Like, have you did, have you noticed that I? I guess I've never noticed it before, but now since you said it, I, I can't unsee it. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but, it's, I feel, I feel like they like write a bunch of tunes and they're like, all right, the, the, these are the more accessible ones. Here's the ones we're fucking around. Let's make sure we put the easier shit on the first side. <laughs> like, I, I love all the songs from Cowboys. So, I mean, if it's, if that's what they did, I mean, it's, there's no filler. It's all awesome. Yeah. No, I, I would totally agree with that, man. Um, one of the things that hit me right off the bat is, you know, and and I noticed this when I first heard Pantera. Period. But you know, I, I think it's something that kind of shows up here. And if, if you kind of look at it through the lens of you know, it's nineteen ninety, and you know, this is their first record, and you're you're in that right at the tail end of that classic era of thrash. You know, like you like you mentioned, Rust in Peace that that came out in nineteen ninety, and you know, Testament had a record, and you know, um, and Justice for All. You know, yeah, Metallica was yeah, yep. Like, we need I, to on the year nineteen ninety. How's that come out? <laughs> <laughs> dude that, there's I, I, we did it one time we were trying to think of all of the incredible like 
it's like like Empire, you know, like uh, Rust in Peace. I want to say Test Testament was uh, Practice What You Preach. Yeah, I think so. Or the, was it the ritual or one of those? Yeah, it's one of those two. And obviously Cowboys. I mean, but yeah. That, that was oh. good. All right. So Aiken says the sequencing was all Vinny and Terry date. All right. Well, maybe they did it on purpose. Yeah. So, but yeah, the, what I, where I was going was, you know, they're, they're really musical for a heavy band. Definitely. I mean, it's Rex is a very underrated bass player. I mean, he never gets mentioned, but if you actually watch some live stuff or really pay attention to the bass lines, he does a lot of walking, very musical type things in there. Um, you know, and and it's it's pretty intelligent for metal. It there's a lot of changes in it and stuff like that, and it's it, it just as brutal as it is and as groove oriented as it is, it's just more musical, isn't it? It is, it is. And it's very bluesy. A lot of the guitar reels and solos are very bluesy and a lot of soul in there. And I guess, I mean, it's like one of the first, like, metal bands to put soul into their music like that. You know, Slayer's, you know, thrashing around. But this, this man, I mean, Don Back is showing out with some, like, bluesy solos. that You never really heard that before from a guitar player, you know, in the metal scene. Yep, that's that's one of my notes. Is like the feel that Dimebag plays with, and it's right. I I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, it's, I mean, we were talking about Cemetery Gates before we jumped on, and mm-hmm. you know, and you just mentioned it as your gateway song, but you know, you you weren't hearing stuff like that. Like it was just you know angry, and you know it's got to be preci- you know Megadeth was like all about precision and all this kind of stuff, and um, but Dimebag really kind of infused. Like it, you said it perfectly, like a bluesy kind of feel. It was, it was this like Van Halen meets Metallica, you know, meets something heavier. Right. You know, it, it was a, well, Van Halen meets Metallica with a southern tinge to it. You know, it, let's say it how it is. You know, Cowboys from Hell. It's got that kind of, you know. It, <laughs> I mean, well, starting right there. I mean, with this with the opening track, Cowboys from Hell. I mean, you could tell there's a different groove going on right from the beginning. I mean, it's 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 got a swing to it, and it's you know in the middle they put that dance beat like it, mm-hmm. you know, like I mean it's it's very different when you when you put on a metal record like you know we mentioned the records around at that time, but like you, it's it's not you know practice what you preach, it's not hanger or uh, holy wars, excuse me, you know a couple years earlier with with Meta- it's not blackened, I mean, right? It real, it's very different. Yeah, and and with that being like their their lead off track. You know, like the first time you hear Cowboys and that kicks in, you're, you're like, man, I'm, I'm about to get my ass kicked here. <laughs> yeah. And and to me, like, I don't know how you where you stand. This, but I think Cowboys is is might be one of the least heavy songs on the record. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, I actually I think the second half of the record is heavier than the first half. You know, with with songs like uh, Message and Blood and Medicine yep. Man, some of those groovy riffs are, are pretty brutal. Yeah. Well, and Art of Shredding is just like, you know, Vinnie Paul's just like look, took a bag of Coke and dug his face into it and then started playing, you know? Yeah. Dude, and I have to say, he's like such an underrated drummer. I know he's he, Pantera, Pantera's drummer, but he really doesn't get mentioned enough in being such a badass drummer like he is, you know? It, but he, he really brings it too. Yeah. I want, one of my notes is that, like, I think to your point is the way that he uses double bass. 
because right. he's not like one of those drummers that just like tick -tick 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 -tick, you know it's not just like like you know using Slayer as an example. I mean he he kind of like holds back and he only uses it when it's necessary and he uses right. it in a really tasteful way. It's it's almost like those guitar players where they kind of like you'll see him like using like these you know their main three fingers but the pinkies the secret weapon when they mm -hmm. really need to get like a reach and all it's it's kind of like that in a way. And so I I completely agree with you on that. It's and it's the precision too. Right. right. It's absolutely the precision that he plays with is just unmatched. Yeah, he and, just has such a cool vibe. Yeah. Our friend Daniel Navarez Arojo, hopefully I'm not messing that up again, buddy. I do that every show. Um, <laughs> says, the thing about Pantera for me is the respect for all the instruments. They produce their albums to showcase everyone. The bottom end on both the drums and bass sound is unrivaled, especially considering the era. Absolutely. Where, where, where do you stand on that, uh, uh, Wayne? Because I know that one of the complaints that has been levied against Pantera actually is kind of how Rex's bass gets a little buried because of the you know the heaviness of of Vinnie Paul's kicks and then the the tone of Dime's guitar right right uh you know I guess I really haven't noticed that I might need to go back and listen to that. <laughs> uh no I always thought the bottom end sounded fantastic like the, the production of their bottom end and rhythm section always sounded great to me so I mean I guess most people when they when they go out and they listen to Pantera they're just listening to like Dimebag and what Dimebag's doing but I, mean, I really think the Rhythm section of Pantera is probably one of the best in a metal yeah. band. I, to to me, I think it is the best. But and I and I might be biased because it is kind of Van Halen ish. Um, it is. It's it, it's it's always amazed me how they they were like you know they they always said that before they went on stage, Diamond Vinny, the last thing they would say to each other is Van Halen and like fist bump, you know, because they wanted to be like a heavy metal Van Halen. That was like their their roadmap, and um, I, I mean they definitely achieved it, but you know, just a lot heavier and. Uh, you know, and it goes it goes back to what we we're talking about them being very musical, and uh, you know, back, back to Vinnie Paul's drumming. I mean, I I, I think he in, injects a certain feel to it. Like he, it, it's definitely pretty much straight power. Like you don't get a lot of the ups and downs in his playing like you do with Dimebag, but he really, when you really listen to what he's doing, there are some times when Dime gets a little simpler, but it sounds busy because Vinny's doing some crazy drum thing. You're like, oh, what the hell is that? Like, right. so you think the guitar is going, da, 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 but it's not. Dime's just doing a ch -ch -ch -ch, and the drums are doing all the nutty shit, which is, I love when bands do that. Yeah. And, you know, I guess like they have like that brother thing going on there. So they're totally some kind of telepathic thing between those two. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So one of the things that I have is that, you know, with the song Cowboys from Hell, I I think Dime sets a standard right off the bat that he's got this incredible ability to make a riff really heavy without it having to be like chunking on chords the whole time. I mean, right. especially for a single guitar, he you know, I mean, it's just a, a da, 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 you know, it's a single note type of run, whatever, and it's fat, dude. And he that was that that was like his calling card. So I I love how he does that stuff, man. Where do you stand on that? Uh, no, I like I agree, man. And that that intro riff into Cowboys from Hell is total goosebumps, yeah. and it's not even that difficult. But it's just that there's a certain magic between him and Vinny, then it just kicks in with that song, and they carry through the whole entire record. Yep. Yeah, it's it, it's th this whole song is just a statement, you know. I mean, even even down to the lyrics, like we're the Cowboys from Hell, and it's like, yeah, that's it's, it's kind of. They're they're announcing their intent right off the rip, and it's it, it 
it, it, it seems obvious to say that, but when you kind of picture where their career went and everything that they were doing, you know, mm-hmm. they really, you know, it really was. It really was. Yeah. Um, so we, we've got somebody jumping in here. Uh, this is Chris. Uh, Aiken, I'm assuming this is you, huh? That's me, yeah. What's up? <laughs> What's up, man? Wayne, this is my good friend Chris Aiken. He runs the network, so he makes the rules around here. Kind of. <laughs> I don't make any <laughs> rules. What's up, Wayne? How hey, are you? <clears throat> no, I just wanted to say uh, in regards to Cowboys as an album, I think the the interesting thing to it is of all the bands that have ever gotten big or notoriety of any kind, really, I think Pantera's and especially Cowboys, they're the first ones and probably the only ones you can point to that did not have their sound defined by their first record. If you listen to that record and then you listen to everything else, their sound was clearly defined by Vulgar, and it stayed that way. It kept getting heavier and heavier, but it stayed heavy. This record goes so in and out of them, you know, that, you know, there's parts of it that sound that that go back an album before that are kind of power metal-y. I mean, it's still heavy, but it's it's still power metal-y. And even if you look back at the time before Cowboys, they were doing Art of Shred. I saw them in a in a club in, in um, San Francisco play the Art of Shred before, uh, at least a year before Cowboys. So they were still trying to find it, even though they knew they had something, which I think is weird for a band that became so big that they that they were still experimenting with their sound on their debut release. Don't you agree? Yeah. I mean, I mean Wayne, yeah. where do you stand in that? Cause I, I, I would say Aiken that, that the whole thing, and this is Wayne, I mean, you could probably speak to this as well. Being a musician yourself. Like I, I think that that whole shift, you know, away from the glam stuff, obviously when Phil came in, we all know that he wanted to get heavier or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think when they were touring that stuff and playing the clubs with the Cowboys stuff, I think they started to see that like their stage presence kind of lent itself more to the heavier end of things. And also, you know, the crowds were going a little more ape shit for the heavy stuff, too. So I think it was like a natural evolution based on the on the right. response they were getting to the, to certain parts of the material. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, th- I think Cowboys is like the building blocks for for the next few albums. Um I think Vulgar is probably their heaviest album. Either that one or uh, Trend Kill. Trend, trend Kill. Um, but I think I think uh, Cowboys is, is just it's their images and words. You know, it's it's what I mean. It's the beginning. So you, I mean, yeah. I, I mean that's a that's a good point though, Aiken. I mean, there's there's not a lot of bands that you can say. I mean, I, off the top of my head, I. I I might go with Megadeth in a way because that first record killing is my business has never really sounded like that. I mean, right. So yeah. I, I would use that as an example, but I can't really think of anything else. I mean, yeah. I mean, but, but even that you still knew what Megadeth was going to be. If you listen to the mechanics and stuff like that from that record, I mean, it was there what they, what they were going to be. They, they got better because they, and, and again, Megadeth's a little hard to determine too, because, Let's face it, the players on the first record are not the players on the good records. So there's <laughs> you know, it's almost a different band. So that that's a that's a harder call. I don't know. I, I just Pantera for me, and, and it's weird with Cowboys. Cowboys is other than reinventing the steel, Cowboys would be next and the least favorite for me. But um 
you know, that being said, it's still a killer record. It's still great. And, you know, and, and, you know, John, and you don't, you don't know this Wayne, but I mean, I had a great relationship with those guys still do. Philip is still a friend, you know, and, um, you know, haven't had many an experience with those guys. This is the other point I just want to make real quick. If ever there was a band that if they would have come out now, they would have been the dominant Kings of social media because they were social media before there was social media. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean the, the the Pantera home videos alone. I yeah, mean, they, they, that shit. I mean, Dime Dime would have been doing that stuff live. He would have yeah. just he would have had like he would have been blowing up TikTok and YouTube Shorts and all this stuff, just like going live on Facebook, just doing the dumbest crap. Like he would he would have had to have like eight hundred accounts because he would have gotten in in Facebook jail so many times. <laughs> he would have like four hundred million followers. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because he, I, and, and Lord knows, you know, and that's the weird thing about Dime. And I, John, you know, I, I knew Dime very well and, and was very friendly with Dime. And Dime was that way. He wasn't that way part time. I mean, he was, he was that way all the time. You know, when, when I did, I interviewed him on in 2004 for damage plan and I did it in a studio live and he didn't like a couple of the questions that I asked him because I asked him some hard questions at the end of the interview, he pulled over these two monster cabinets, told me to get up on one. He got up on the other and he's like, I didn't like what you said to me, bro. So we're going to have a karate kid kickoff. And he counted three, two, one, and we both kicked each other in the chest and knocked each other off these stupid cabinets, you know, because that was how Dime was. He he was always playing. He was always goofing around and he was always fun. I mean, I don't think you can ever underestimate how much of the fun part of metal died when that guy died, because my God, that guy was... He was definitely bigger than life. I know we that that's a term that gets thrown around a lot, but that guy was definitely bigger than life. And he proved it every time I ever met him, which was dozens. Always a fun character, man. So missed. Yeah, that 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 just sucks to this day. It's like mm-hmm. really you know, like like I, I I would say about Eddie Van Halen, like couldn't Ted Nugent have gone instead? Like <laughs> same, same thing with Dime, like 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 come on, give us Dime back or Eddie, and like take Ted, get that get right. that jerk off out of like. But I mean, and, and Wayne, you know, Chris's <laughs> point, I, I I think I think that speaks to what you were saying about Dime's style with like the blues and stuff. I I think his solos have an element of fun to them. They're they're you know they're they're. They're not super precision. There's a lot of bends and a lot of dives and a lot of a lot of motion in there, and uh-huh. I, I think it's it's you know very emotive. And I think you can hear how much he loves playing the guitar and how much fun he had doing the stuff. Yeah, dude, that's the key word. Their music is fun. You know, it's it's fun to listen to. It's fun to play. It's fun just to you know have on in the background. It's it's just fun music. And you can tell the guys that are doing it like to have fun. Yeah. So yeah, it's just... Agree. Well, I'm going to jump out and let you guys do your show. I just wanted to interject for a minute, so I'm out. Awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, bro. All right, boys. See it Later. So there goes Chris. Appreciate Chris. his input. Yeah, yeah. he... he I, I try not to blow it up too much, but yeah, he actually was really, really close with them, and he... um. He, he suffered... A, yeah, he... Dude, he, he suffered a really, really bad burn accident 
in uh, I want to say ninety four, okay, uh, December ninety four, and he he had like like third degree burns over sixty nine percent of his body. He he uh, he worked in a steel mill. One of the vats blew up on him. Is what happened. So, um, and Pantera was kind of like the band that got him to survive literally and he talks about that he wrote a book about it called call me chris and he talks about the pantera store he had tickets to go to a show and he wasn't supposed to because it was way too early in his recovery but he's like no fuck you i'm going and he had him up on a court board in his in his hospital room and he he went to that damn pantera show and he that's kind of how he met phil and um he, he oh, started awesome. the relationship there yeah so yeah but uh so our good buddy discuss metal joe who apparently doesn't read the bottom of the screen. Uh, <laughs> he says, Cowboys set a new heavy metal standard that Vulgar would take to the next level for this band. Cowboys is not my favorite, but we needed it to take this band to the next level. Uh, right. I would I would agree with that, and I think they start down that path uh, with the next song on the record, Wayne, which, of course, is Primal Concrete Sledge. Right. And Forward one. That's uh, like, what, two minutes? Two minutes Yeah, off? it's... It, dude, that song. I mean, why don't you talk about this one a little bit? Like, I'll I'll let you start this one off because, you know, this. I think this is when you really get that. Well, not, you know, kind of. It really is when you know they announce themselves as okay. Like, you know, because Cowboys from Hell. Like I said, not the heaviest song on this record, but right. Primal Con- Concrete Sledge comes in. You're like, okay, this is this is a fucking metal band. Yeah, that that one's cool. That one's cool. It's it's a little short for me, you know, but uh. uh I would say the next song, Psycho Holiday. Yeah. For three. Okay, that's that's the one. Can I talk about that one? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let me let me. I I will give my notes on Primal uh, Concrete Sledge real quick because I did want a couple cool. quick things. Um, uh, you know, I think this is like what announces them is they're not just going to be a classic metal band. This is something different. Yeah. And, you know, Vinnie Paul is is an absolute monster on the drums and that part in the middle, you know, with the triplets is obviously just a legendary drum part, you know, as we all know now. And it showed a diversity in the songwriting because it's such a different style from the first song from Cowboys. And it showed all these different layers and, you know, like, you know, and then it breaks down into like a, a lot of variance and change to the music, which I thought was really cool. So, um, this one also kind of has a special place in my heart because it's my older brother's favorite Pantera song. So oh, every cool. time I Primal Concrete Sledge, I'm thinking of my, my older brother who was a huge deadhead and Led Zeppelin guy, but for some reason Pantera grabbed him and he loves Primal Concrete Sledge. So, but uh, all right, so moving on to track three, Psycho Holiday, uh, you're up, man. Dude, so, that's my favorite riff on the whole album. When when that song kicks in, that's the song that I put on when I'm like, pissed off at work you know and i'm having a bad day i'm like man i'm gonna go on a psycho holiday here <laughs> <laughs> nice well you know but that that riff they, it's like a mach- sounds like a machine gun i think I, I think that's the purpose but you know that's it's such a badass groove uh and just the whole course and melody of that whole song is just fantastic it's pro- probably my favorite favorite riff on the album is that intro riff where they're kicking in with that and the drums are like everything, just the whole production of that song is, is the writing, the, the vocals is fantastic. Yeah. I, one of the things that stood out to me immediately was, you know, again, we talked about, you know, his use of double bass. And I think this is a, a perfect example of it because this has like, if you were to slow down hot for teacher, 
this has a because hot for teachers not just it's a and this one's kind of like that too like you know it's it's got that that feel to it that swing you know yeah it almost sounds like an accident but i guess that's a mistake or is he doing that on purpose right yeah um yeah this is um you know this is a perfect example of when they you know coined the term groove metal and right. these guys doing something different. I think this is this is really where you see that for the first time. Like they hint at it in Cowboys, you know, that's kind of like we said a different but this one is really, you know, this is where you get that southern kind of feel to it and it's, you know, a, a defining kind of, you know, portion of their sound that they would kind of lean back on, you know, many times throughout the rest of their, you know, their discography. Uh, and I mean, dude, look, can we just talk about Dimebag solo on this one? Right? Yeah, yeah. This is this is the first time to me like th- this is where you know, okay, this guy, holy shit! Like it has all of the tricks you would come to know. Like it's got the monster squealies, you know. It's got like the the, the sing along parts, like the real melodic stuff. You can kind of gets in your head, you know, the shredding. The, there's melody to it, and Bluesy. yes, yeah, yeah. It's it, this is just like it's kind of like you know a precursor of things to come or whatever that you know, right. whatever that old saying is like foreshadowing or, or something. But yeah. yeah, I'm with I'm with you. This is this is a phenomenal riff, and you know. And especially when it, you know, you know, mm-hmm. like it kind of like breaks down the scales. Of, uh, it's you know, and that that riff, that well, the vibe to that riff, for me, I think that's what carries on to like vulgar and trend kill and far beyond driven, like the like the riff and walk, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's like that, that magic behind that. So the riffs and psycho holiday just have that kind of magic to it. Yep, you can never look. <laughs> Off. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you, dude. It's it, it's such a it's such a unique thing, and you know it continues that trend. You know, I was mentioning that Primal Concrete Sledge is totally different from Cowboys, and you know Psycho Holiday is another flavor in and of itself. So you've got the first three songs on the record are all doing something different, and right. it, they, they 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 stand out completely from each other. Um, <laughs> Joseph Friend discussed Metal Joe. He says you could say Cowboys took Pantera to a new level. <laughs> I see what you did there, man. I see what you did. <laughs> so, uh, so you love the Psycho Holiday riff. Yeah. The <laughs> track four for me is one of my all-time favorite Panteras. One of my all-time favorite metal riffs, and that would be Heresy. Yeah, that I. Was- yeah, it, dude. This is like the first time they just do like a straight-ahead metal tune. You know, because mm-hmm. the other stuff was kind of. This is, you know, I, I mean, I, I swear they, they should have just called this song "Palm Mute" because the whole thing is diamond, gin, 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 you know, the, the whole damn thing. And it, it you know, di- again, Vinny with the double bass, like, and it, it's just God. It's like one of those ones. It's, it's a straight headbang and kick-ass rocker. Yeah, yeah. And again, it, it's a different vibe from the first three songs. So now you've got a fourth flavor on the mm-hmm. record and it's like they're they, it, you know again maybe they did you know as, as Aiken said that you know Vinny and Terry date handled the sequencing so maybe they did that on purpose but if right. they didn't it was you know a Bob Ross style happy little accident because I mean you're really getting everything that Pantera has to offer within the scope of like four songs and you know continuing on with Cemetery Gates in a minute but right um right. you know yeah I th- this one for me is just the, the whole thing just goes it's it's like you just headbang the whole time like like you would put on psycho holiday i would probably listen to heresy right right yeah so um so yeah i mean so what are your thoughts on this tune this tune in particular so the funny thing about that song 
is uh, I get when I first got the cassette tape for Cowboys. So I'm, I'm looking at my mom's 1994 Honda Accord, right? <laughs> no, just got my driver's license and uh, Heresy. I'm, I'm rocking out to Heresy and I, I leave tape in that date. Oh no! <laughs> like you know, my my parents live out in the country. They listen to country music, you know. So this is in the tape deck, and it's like I, I think it's right before you know, like Phil's dropping some f bombs. <laughs> Like I leave the tape in her car, and like the next day I get in there, and my mom's holding her hand, and she's like, "Who is whose is this? <laughs> <laughs> you borrow it, you know, it's not mine." She's like, well, "There's cussing in this song," and I was like, "All right, mom, it's, it's heresy. It's just." Bummer, my job, you know. But, but that's you, awesome. That's that's another song. Like, just it kicks off, just kicking ass, you know. Yeah. Like, well, it's, it's like I mean the. You know, it's got like the harmonics, like right, right. like whoa, and like I said, the drum, and then you know at the end of the choruses where it's like you know again the use of the double bass, like like then he puts in the full double bass, and then the you know you said Phil's vocals, like Harris does that big huge scream, and yeah, this he's kind of like doing the Rob Halford thing a little bit. Not not quite not quite shattered level yet, but like right. it's it's definitely up there, man. Uh, yeah, this this has always been one of my favorite Pantera tunes, and I think it's it, they played it a lot in the early days, and it, they never went back to, it, which kind of bummed me out. And it's you know when they were busy doing like you know by Demons Be Driven and Hollow doing that doing that medley, I was like, man, couldn't you take that out and put in Heresy? Like, can't you like do some of that kind of stuff? So that was really my only complaint when I saw Pantera live the few times is that there wasn't too many of the deep cut types of things that you like you, you might get from other bands like hey here's 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 a pair of songs you never ever hear you know this for the fans we didn't really get that it's only kind of bummer but yeah know, that's a pretty minor complaint when you get to watch them live so yeah <laughs> so all right so uh all right <laughs> shinville general 94 is a long time ago makes me feel old uh yeah i graduated high school in 94 shinville so i feel you <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you there, man. Um, yeah, so if you guys want to jump in, uh, as my good buddy Chris Aiken did, uh, don't forget uh, the ticker at the bottom of the screen. Just go to tii.cmspn.com and you can join us on screen if you got a camera or just do audio like Chris did and have your camera off. So feel free to jump into the discussion here. Uh, I will let you take this one to start off with, Wayne, because as you said, this is your gateway Pantera song. So we are on track five. That being the incredible Cemetery Gates. Yeah, man, that's it is the song that got me into heavy metal. I mean, it was my my gateway metal song, and uh, I mean to this day, I still I think it's the. It's hard to say that it's the greatest heavy metal song, ever written, but I would <laughs> right. definitely top five, and it just has all the elements that make it a masterpiece. I mean, you got Phil doing the upper register stuff. You, uh, my favorite Don Bag solo. I mean, it just has like that raw emotion and just, well, it's kind of, it's impossible not to sing along to it. Yep. Uh, it's impossible not to get goosebumps, but uh, yeah, man, that, that was my gateway metal song all the way back in 94. I mean, I guess I was a few years late with it. I mean, 94, but, <laughs> uh, no, man, I, I first heard it on the cassette tape and it just, ever since then it's been history with me getting into guitar and metal music and working in metal in the metal industry and videos and i guess it kind of all started there 
that that would definitely define gateway. <laughs> yeah, it was my gateway, man. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, this is I think, you know, kind of when it really kind of hit me too is when I discovered this. It was like and again, it, I think it was the diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we were talking about how the first four songs are and, and this one adds to their palette. Right. And I guess it's yeah. kind of a ballad for the album, but I guess it's not a ballad, but kind of yeah. I, I have I have that in my notes. This is mellower in quotes, like with a question right. mark. Like, you know, it's but I mean, when you listen to the beginning, just all of the guitars, like, you know, the clean parts and then the solo over it, you're, I mean, it's God, it's so beautiful. And it, it it's something that Dime was so incredible at that, you know, he could shred like the best of them. But what set him apart is that ability to write with melody. Right. You know, that ability to just make it sound you know, inject feeling into something where you wouldn't expect there'd be any way to put feeling into it mm-hmm. and you know I, I love songs like this when pantera does them because it really lets him showcase that side of his playing right and it's, it's just i mean like you said i mean the solo is definitely like a top five dime solo if not the dime solo so i'm completely you know completely with you there i mean the whole song just has so much feel to it Right, right, and 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 unfortunately, I think you know it's it's the one thing that Phil lost after this record was right. that because Phil just basically got into angry, pissed off, ripped people's heads off for the rest of the career. Type of, <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> like, and it just never really, you know, came. I mean, we you know you had Hollow, which you know about his friend dying and stuff like that, and, but you don't really get like what you got on Cemetery Gates from him again, right? And I mean. Yeah. Oh I, my god. Uh, hi again. I think that that may be definitely Cowboys is the only time he's trying to do that. But man, he's hitting those notes. Yeah. The, and, well that yeah, that, that call and response thing is just so cool. Right. Right. Like I, I, I try and do that stuff in the car and obviously it's like it you know, it has I have to be like hundred and fifty percent fresh to get anywhere near it, but it's like man. Right. And you picture that guy just doing that, you know, yeah, you know, obviously couldn't do it for very long once they got on the tour because is roach's voice but god damn it like could you imagine hearing that shit live oh man and and just even with uh with like dimes playing on that on that song it's it's like he's like a vocalist yeah. you know his guitar he's making his guitar sing on that track yep it's it, it's it's that like you know i, I mentioned in, in um you know the solo for uh psycho holiday like he's got mm-hmm. those parts to his solos where it's like a sing-along part. Like you could sing parts of the solos and not many, you can't say that about many players, man. You just can't. So our buddy, Robert Reams, good to see you, man. He says, amazing song. Would love to hear symphony X do a cover of this. Russell Allen would definitely do the vocals justice. See, where do you stand on people covering Pantera? I think they're one of those bands. that's pretty much impossible to cover. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to cover Pantera, you got to do the solid state. You can't bring yeah. it in there. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, Russell Allen can cover anybody. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I think Symphony X could do it. They have to drop the keyboards for that track, though. But uh, <laughs> but I think I think Romeo could could hit those notes. But I mean, Don Bags, Don Bags. So yeah, I mean, that's the that, that's and, and I mean, hell, we're all debating it now with the current tour, right. you know. Is that Zach Wilde's the only guy that can really do Dimebag justice because anybody else, it's kind of like a. There's just not that feel there. There, there's something that indescribable, something different about Dimes playing that you can't just get up there and hit the notes. 
Right. Right. So I, I whenever I whenever I see bands like covering Pantera, I'm like, well, that's cool, but it, it just there's they're one of those bands. It's like impossible to to kind of nail properly. Right. Right. So. And this Van Halen too. I mean, when you when you get an uh, iconic guitar player that has created his own sound, like an Eddie Van Halen or or Dimebag, I mean, it's really hard to cover that. I mean, you can play yeah. another, but just that magical feel this is not going to be there yeah there's a there's a sammy hagar era tribute van halen band here in cleveland that, that started up about a year ago and i've seen him a couple times because you know, i'm a huge van halen guy and they're the guy who does their eddie i mean is spot on but it's not the same whereas if you go see like a metallica tribute or you know something like that it's you know, okay, you can nail those Kirk Hammett solos and whatnot and, and the rhythms because it's, you know, it's straight up metal playing. But you're right, man. Eddie and Dime, you just can't, you can't replicate it. Yeah, it's just a certain personality. It's just, it's never going to be copied, you know? Yep. I mean, copied, but it's never going to be, you know, the same. It copied properly. <laughs> you know? Yep. Right. All right. Well, moving on, uh, fart stinks like a motherfucker. So obviously, <laughs> so obviously we're talking about domination and uh i mean what, what what can you say about this one it just fucking kicks ass yeah that's actually my least favorite song on the record it's yeah it's a little it's it's fast paced you know it's uh yeah it's, it's pretty good it's a pretty good track <laughs> wow yeah no kidding not bad but it's probably the, like the low point of the record for me no shit yeah Wow, I've I've never heard anybody say that about this song. Everybody I know is like, dude, this song rules. <laughs> oh man, I guess just like coming off Cemetery Gates and going into Domination is just kind of a for me, you know. But it's it's not a bad song. It's just it doesn't have the same groove bluesy vibe as the ones prior to it. Okay, I I could see that. I mean, this this one is more about precision and power than it is about anything else. Yeah, so. get the black. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I I love the song, you know, but I mean, I I love the solo in it, and mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I think part of it for me is I'm a little biased because I've seen the live version from Donington so many times, mm-hmm. and to watch those guys just absolutely shredding up there like that, like it always it always it always amazes me because, like, man, Aiken too, a- Chris Aiken, he says, I'm with Wayne. Yeah, my least favorite on the album, man. That's crazy. And Aiken <laughs> loves heavy stuff, so let's. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Just th- those guys always amaze me. Like how how they could drink and party that much and still get up there. And you know, I like if I drink a shitload before a gig, I can barely say my own name, <laughs> much less do what they were doing. I'm like, how in God's name? Like, yeah, are you able to do that? They were pickled. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the stories everybody tells about being backstage, like, and they're like, you have to drink a shitload. Come on, drink, drink, drink. Like, it was not right. an option. Like, God damn, how can you play guitar with all that in you? Right, right. Yeah, a buddy of mine, uh, Rich Ward, uh, when, when they were doing Stuck Mojo, uh, you know, was telling me stories. And he was Stuck Mojo when they toured with Pantera back in the 90s, how much those guys would drink. But what they would do a lot of times is they would they would swap it out with tea, I guess. And so uh, Bones, who was the front man for Stuck Mojo at that yeah. time, man, they used to get that guy so drunk before he went on stage. I mean, they were pouring Jack Daniels, and he was, like, so wasted on stage. And there was one time that he uh, was, I don't know, Don was standing up there by the soundboard, 
and went to pour the shot into Bones' mouth, but accidentally got it in, in his eye. Oh. So like holding his eye the rest of the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible, Mick. Jack Daniels in the eye. Ugh. In the eye, yeah. For a whole game. Oh. <laughs> Fuck that. Well, all right. Well, apparently this is not a popular song, so we'll move on to the next. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan, so I, I guess I'm in the minority here with you and Aiken. So um, now now we get to the weird side. Um, you know, like we said, like the the stuff that doesn't really get talked about a lot. And I think there's a lot of really underrated songs on this side of the album. And of course, it starts with Shattered, which to wow. me is a very, very underrated, very underrated Pantera song. Uh, I mean, Dimes guitars all over the place on this one. And I mean, if there was, that's if there was, ev- what was that? I think that that's a short song. It's like three minutes. Yeah, it's one of the shorter ones. But it it also, dude, it, it goes by so quickly because it's, it's so right. frenetic. I mean, it's just a pure speed metal song. And this is, this is definitely like one that, you know, I mean, if Phil Anselmo was able to do this live properly, maybe twice, I'd be shocked because it's just way in the high register, just screaming the whole time. And it's an awesome, awesome vocal, but God, what a bitch. Yeah. And that, that song actually gives me some like ride the lightning master of puppet vibes to it. You could, you could tell that Metallica was definitely influencing those guys around that time. Yeah, completely agree, man. C- completely agree. Um, like I said, I mean, it's you know, I, I'm I'm with. I, I think I kind of feel about this one the, the way that you do about domination about how it's it doesn't have kind of the ups and downs of some of the other stuff. Like this one is just like okay, pedal to the metal. Let's just right. here we go. So I mean, is this where does this stand for you on the record? One of your uh, uh, favorite, least you know, less favorite, middle, like you know. In the middle, I think this is this is their mosh pit song with domination. <laughs> yeah, I guess they would they would play to you know get the crowd going. Uh, I like it. It's it's not my favorite, but it's not my least favorite on the record. Okay, all right. Robert Ream says I was about to say that Metallica vibes. Yeah, total Metallica. Yeah. Dude, Metallica with a shitload of coke in him. Jack <laughs> <laughs> Daniels. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Jack Daniels. <laughs> Jack Daniels in the eye. I can't get that out of my head. I just can't imagine how bad that would fucking burn to have Jack Daniels poured in your eye. Man, I've I've had it. I've had stuff go up my nose, and that was bad enough. Yeah. Oh God. All right. So moving on, we are at Clash with Reality, and for me, dude, this is the first time that we kind of hear the future. Mm-hmm. of Dimebag's riffing. You know, because I think this song, you could put it on Vulgar, and I think it would fit in pretty nicely on side two of that album. Right. You know, it, it, this is that single... It's got that, you know, kind of regular people kind of vibe to it. and Right. Um, yeah, th- this is kind of like, you know, for back to that foreshadowing thing that I screwed up earlier. Uh, you know, it's foreshadowing what, you know, kind of where they would go and this is really where you hear that groove metal thing that they pioneered. Like that, that's where this really starts coming out to me. Yeah, I agree, man. That and that's a that riff along with the psycho holiday riff. Those those are the one. That's the foreshadowing. That's yeah. What I think they build upon for the next one, and then far beyond driven. It's it's just that that walk type riff. Dun, yeah. Down the little pause in there. You, you have to headbang to it. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's, you know, again, you know, like I was mentioning earlier, it's like you you can imagine that, you know, 
it's something that was born out of the live environment because it's you know if you think about it like this you know dime dime can play anything moving around pretty much but you know a riff like this you know he can he can really get into it and just kind of grind it out you know and it's like that fit his personality so this was and you know the same thing with um you know, you mentioned Psycho Holidays, another riff that kind of like you know shows what where they would go in the future, and that's another one because you know his his right hand articulation was so damn precise that he can he can you know he just sit there and dig into that riff too while he's jumping around and still make it sound good. So I th- I think you, you bring up a great point that these two riffs are definitely like okay, what what is Pantera going to become at least you know riff wise, guitar wise, you know Clash with Reality and Psycho Holiday are, are a damn good example of, like, if you meld right. those two together, that's kind of your Pantera sound. Um, yeah, I, I I really like, and, and this one, dude, that, that really frenetic part in the bridge, you know, it's like, you know, where they're, like, shredding that, you know, dimes just shredding, like, and, you know, they kind of, they you know, they do that before and after the solo, and then, you know, they go back to it at the end, with the thrash beat in the end, is that part's really, really cool. Like, that is just, you know, and, you know, this is kind of back to that ups and downs and different feels, through, you know, you know, different feel and vibe throughout the song because it's got a lot of different moving parts to it. It does. It does. And I would, I would say that's probably their most progressive sounding song in the album, because like you said, there's so many ups and downs to it. It's, it's taking you all over the place. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I never looked at it like that, man, but that's definitely I would agree with that. If you put it up against the others, like, yeah. I can definitely see that. Like I said, it's got you've got your thrash in there. You've got like the like you know, kind of a breakdown, and you know, you more straight force. Yeah, that's good, man. I I never thought of it that way. Things you can't unhear. (laughs) (laughs) Our good buddy JG three is checking in. Good to see you, man. He says, "Hey guys, hope you're doing well. Good to see you, Jay. Thanks for tuning in." Uh, Moving on, we are at Medicine Man, and uh, this is uh, you know one of those. Yeah. That's another one that has one of those future riffs in it too. Yeah, but it's and it's like it's I I love how it like you know fades in like you know like oh my god it's like you know it's got the the you know yeah and it's is fantastic on that yeah I I think it's you know you were mentioning the um you and our buddy Daniel mentioning the production on the low end and the rhythm section I think that's that's definitely right here it's like I mean I could listen to like Vinnie Paul's drums and and Rex playing bass over it for days right right yeah that that's that's probably my third favorite track on the record it's and and it's so underrated and is that is that where the second half starts with Medicine Man uh the second half of the record yeah uh no it's actually shattered okay because yeah. yeah, domination closes side one, and then shattered is the start of side two. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right, man. It's like all these songs are like the one people nobody listens to. Yeah, it's, it's I I notice it. Isn't isn't that weird? And it's on every record too. Right, every record. Like yeah, you know that song "The Sleep" by Pantera. Like whoa. Really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, "Art of Shredding" is really the only one I think people might kind of go back to right. on this and be like, oh yeah, I know "Art of Shredding," but I mean, if you were to sit people down and go, okay, what songs do you know from? You know, from um, let's say Far Beyond Driven, they'd be like, "Oh, Strength Beyond Strength, dude. Uh, five minutes alone. You know, like I'm broken. No, no one's going to use my third arm." Or <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So JG3, uh, I don't know if you guys mentioned it, but I always thought the title track riff sounds like the riff in Train of Consequences by Megadeth. Okay. I think positioning hand wise, it's kind of similar, is it not? Like. Yeah. You're 
I play a little bit guitar. You 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 are a good guitar player, so <laughs> you yeah. know better than I would. Yeah, that, that palm muting stuff in there. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, a little bit. I I could see that, Jay. Uh, he also says Vinnie Paul's drums on this record are killer. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's. I mean, th- that's the one thing that kind of sucks is that the, the you know the first three Pantera albums had amazing production on the drums, and they right. thinned out a little bit with Trend Kill and Reinventing the Steel. I think. Yeah, I think so too. I think his like his snare drum sound on those those first three records uh, is one of the best too, and and it kind of. I don't know if it wouldn't like the St. Anger vibe <laughs> Crash can, but you know, those first three, like just everything, like his ride symbol, the snare, it just, it gets in your head. It's, it's like a, like an arrow. Yeah. It's such a signature part of the band though, isn't yeah. it? Like, I mean, you, I mean, you can go back to li- and listen to a whole bunch of live stuff and they knew it too, because when, I mean, the effects they would put on his snare live, it sounded like a cannon going. I was like, like they played that up, man. But I mean, he hit hard as hell to begin with. But Jesus, uh, man. So yeah. I, I knew I was going to get Aiken's attention with that. Uh, he says, "Use my third arm" is my all-time favorite Pantera song. That song just rages. That's why I, br- I brought that one up just for him because I know that's his favorite tune. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, with with Medicine Man. So one thing that I noticed today, and I mean, this is really tiny. But I was I was taking notes and it just for some reason just caught my ear and you really have to listen for it. But if you're if you've got it on in headphones and especially like buds like I'm wearing, mm-hmm. if you listen really close to in the far far left in the second verse, there's a little kid voice that's you know, Have you wondered what heaven is? What, have you ever have you wondered what heaven's like? That lyric, there's like a voice going. Have you wondered what heaven's like? Like oh. it. it yeah, I never noticed it, and then and then later on they they revisit it, and it says, uh, you know, have you have you have you wondered what hell is like, and it's got the it's got the deep voice there, like it's like the rest of the little effects on the vocal, that was, but yeah, just that one line. Yeah, I was like, heard that before. Yeah, yeah. it's so, it's so minor, but you know, but yeah, this is another one of those like I said, like you know the the palm muting and the in the chugging, like the great end of you know, and right. And that again is kind of like something they would go back to as well, you know that that has a very you know vulgar display kind of feel to it there at the end. Yeah, it's so, definitely the building blocks for what they had coming up. Yes. Uh, all right. So moving on, we have message in blood, which is I I I think this song is criminally underrated. What what do you think about this one? Yeah, I agree, man. That that's another song that just has such a badass riff to it. Uh, but that's another that's a <laughs> third arm song. Yeah, you know that Pantera song, Message of Blood? No. <laughs> right. No, that's that's a good song, man. I, I probably do need to listen to it some more. Uh, but it's one of those where Don Bag's riffs are just the iconic riffing where it starts. Yep. I it, dude, for me it's as I was listening to it, I, w- I was like, yeah, this isn't my favorite song on the record. And then I, no, I've, no I really like this song. Like, it's kind of like it starts, you're like, okay. Like, but then, you know, there's so many cool parts. I'm like, no, I really do like this song. It's, it's, it's kind of a weird vibe for me on this one. It's, and I, I, I just love the chorus. It, it's so simple. It's like, message in blood, but the simple, like, just that, like you said, like the chugging and the riffing and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I, one of my favorite parts of the whole album, actually any Pantera album, is on this one. I, I really like the 
that weird thing they do going into the verses, like you know, like it's that weird funky like part that just came out of nowhere. Yes, Texas groove. Yeah, but it to me you know it it reminds me of that song Escape on Ride the Lightning. Because okay. I mean that that's a nobody really likes that song, but like <laughs> I love the drum part where it's like so it's just a straight drum beat and it ends like I've always loved that. It's like you, you don't you're not expecting it. It's such a cool little fill, and I think that that goofy thing that they do here going into the verses has that too. So, um, and also to your point about it being you know Dimebag playing like bluesy, right. I, I think like that this, this song has the solo where that's on display the most it's got that weird so and it's like it's like a creepy blues isn't it creepy blues creepy blues yeah it is man. it's it's definitely uh metal metal blues <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, oh no no i mean i mean i guess and and i'm glad that he keeps that kind of bluesy solo style through the rest of, he, he never kind of loses that but de- definitely with with this track he, that that's a good solo too that he does with that. Yeah, it it, it just shows like a, a yet another side of his playing, and it, it's he's so diverse, man. It's like it's right. listening to him play guitar is just so badass. It's yeah. I mean he's one of those guys like I like I I I always wanted to be Eddie Van Halen, and I play all the instruments. I play drums, bass, guitar, I sing, and I but I always wanted to be a lead guitar. I want to be Eddie Van Halen. And of course, the one instrument that I suck at the most is is lead guitar. <laughs> so I tend to go down guitar rabbit holes on YouTube like religiously, especially when I get together and start getting drunk with my guitar players in the band I play in, because they're huge like guitar nuts, and we're all monstrous Eddie Van Halen fans. And my YouTube search is like dominated by Eddie Van Halen and Dimebag, because there's just always something great to find with this guy. Right, man. He's so so ahead of his time. I'll say it again. It fucking sucks. This guy had to die. Yeah. I just that that it's it's it, you know we'll move on here to the last couple songs in a second. But that one, man, it like you know that it's it, it still affects me every year. Right, you know, right. De- December eighth. It's like I just I I remember getting that phone like I I got a phone call at some crazy hour of the morning from mm-hmm. one of my buddies, and I woke up for work a few hours later. And I, I didn't answer because I'm like, okay, this morons, you know, freaking morons drunk or whatever. <laughs> and I checked the voicemail and oh, he was sober. He was like, dude, I just saw Newswire said the dime bag got killed in Columbus. And I was like, what the what the fuck? And so I immediately, you know, Googled it wasn't Google at that time, but I, I looked up you know, music sites and stuff and it was all over there. I was like. Holy son of a bitch! Like, oh my god! And it was just, and dude, like, it sounds stupid because I didn't know the guy, but I cried. Yeah, me too, man. And it's hard to believe that now. Now I'm older than he was when he was murdered, and I was like, man, dude, this guy accomplished so much. Yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) No, that I don't know, man. Some of the stuff you've told me you're doing, that's uh, you're Uh, you're accomplishing quite a bit there, bro. So, but, I just, man, it's over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I think with Dime, like, I mean, among all the stories of him being crazy, like, there were always stories of him being like the nicest guy you'd ever meet. And when I met him, I mean, it just he was he was the coolest fucking dude ever. Like, 
And you got that energy from him that he actually did give a shit about you as a fan. He loved what he was doing. Like he was just he was he was born to do that sort of thing. And it was, you know, like I had the briefest interaction with him. It was like him and Vinny at the table. And, you know, I I said, hey, man, you know, I'm such a huge fan. Like my band is like we're you know influenced by you guys. It's, you know, and, and oh, thanks a lot, man. And Vinny like gave me a five and. I, I turned to Diamond. I was like, yeah, my guitar players like worship you, dude. And like, and I, I suck at guitar, but God damn it. Like, I fucking love your playing, dude. Like, the riffs are just sick, dude. Like, we're huge fans. And he stood up and went over the table and just grabbed me. He's like, thanks a lot, brother. That means a lot. Give me this huge fucking hug and like, you know, high fiving and slapping. Like, I was like, God damn, this is like the nicest dude ever. <laughs> like, everything everybody says is true. And that's what makes him so cool. You know, uh, just large, a larger than life type character. You know, yeah. lives lives up to a stereotype, to his hype. You know. Yep. It's it, it, it's cool when you know because you meet other guys like you know Dave Mustaine's known to be a piece of shit and oh you know, yeah like the, the the guys in I love Anthrax but the guys in Anthrax are kind of cocks and you know it's you know and a lot of those guys can be that way but you know so it's like when you meet somebody like Dime who's so fucking cool or the Dream Theater guys or you oh, know I got to guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so before we get to these last two songs here, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we do have a question in the chat for us uh, from Chris Aiken, our buddy that was on the show. Uh, are either of you into the Texas Pantera knockoff bands like Sons of Texas, Texas, uh, Texas Hippie Coalition, or Pissing Razors? Not as good, obviously, but keeps the sound alive. Are, are you familiar with any of those bands? No, no, I've, I've never heard of them. Or- I, Pissing Razors is one of my all-time favorite band names. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I've I've heard those guys, and they're pretty good. Um, I, right. I think the I think for me, I I haven't heard Sons of Texas. I think I've heard like two or three Texas Hippie Coalition songs okay. because Aiken Aiken met him one time, and if I remember right, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but the singer's even bigger than you are. He's like a friggin' gorilla. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I, I, the the problem for me is like bands like that when it sounds, uh, I hate to use the term derivative because it sounds like I'm, I'm accusing these bands of like purposely ripping Pantera off. But when I hear bands that kind of do that, it, it's like me, like if I'm walking through the grocery store and I can buy the name brand, like, you know, butter or the knockoff, I'm like, eh, give me the name brand. Like, right, right. It just feels generic. <laughs> like, I just, you know, not. Yeah. Dude, that's the case for me in like Dream Theater. It's like every prog metal band after that. It's like, man, these guys are just a Dream Theater ripoff. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I mean, I d- and those guys know that too. Well, and it, it, it's funny you say that because I have this exact same problem. Like I try to get into all these other prog bands that people like, and they're like, oh, they're influenced by Dream Theater, but they're doing their own thing. And and all I'm hearing is like, oh, Dream Theater would have done that better. Dream Theater would have done this part better. Oh, man, this guy's just trying to sound like Fertrucci. <laughs> Exactly. So, all right. So, uh, JG threw uh, one last point, and then I said we'll, we'll close out the record here. But he says, I think it's fair to get upset when great artists die. You end up spending so much time listening to their music, it feels like it's someone you know because their music and art are so important. Uh, yeah. Uh, Eddie Van Halen for me is an uh, October 20th every year is absolutely a miserable day because it's just like it pisses me off that I'll never get to see Eddie Van Halen play again. But, uh, JG3 follows it up. He says, I remember me and my dad were going to go see Lincoln Park in Philly a week before Chester passed away. I'd seen them before, but my dad hadn't and really wanted to see them live. He was bummed. Yeah, I mean, like like you and you and Wayne, you and I were talking about it. It's, you know, you mentioned that you, you know, 
missed seeing Dimebag because you were going to go about a month before he passed and you decided not to. Right. And we had, we had talked before the show started about that and how, you know, for me, Eddie Van Halen passing, it's kind of like, well, you don't want to miss this shit anymore because you don't know when it's going to be, you know, yeah. the last time. And and it's also weird, too, because, like, in my mind, I picture these guys as being, like, in their late 30s, early 40s or something. And then you realize that, no, they're usually in their early 60s now. <laughs> like, <laughs> Right, right, yeah. But yeah, man, I guess, especially like with your heroes like that, you become so invested in them and like you get them on this pedestal and like something is so like tragic that happens like that. It's just, yep. yeah, and especially to a guy that was a legend before he was dead, you know, it's. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I, I think Jay hits it on the head. It's like you end up spending so much time listening to their music. It feels like it's someone you know. Right. And it's. You know, and yeah, and it's like, you know, Eddie Van Halen for me, just his guitar playing, like, ch- literally changed my life. I've told that story on the on the show before. And it's, you know, it, it's when when they're not around, like, you know, because your life kind of gets, at least for me, it was like my life was kind of musically, uh-huh. w- subconsciously was kind of revolved around every day waking up, to, you know, every few years and being like, is there going to be a Van Halen announcement? Are they, you know, are they going to do a tour? Like, am I going to get to go see Van Halen again? And when all of a sudden it's not there anymore and you're like, well, shit, like when it's over, it's kind of like it kind of reminds you of your own mortality and, you know, the, the aging process and all that shit, you know, yourself. Right. It like throws you into a midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh. All right. So we got two more songs left on uh, Cowboys from Hell here. So uh, obviously track 11, you mentioned it earlier, but it is The Sleep. Which... Yeah. Oh, man. See, I would have to say that this one would probably be my least favorite. Because okay. it, I, I think it has the least amount of stuff going on in it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I think uh, with this one for me, I, I really dig the like the chorus in this track. Yeah. Uh, kind of a weird song. I don't really know what the lead means for it. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean it's, it's a cool song, man. Um, uh, it's not my favorite song on the record, but it, it's a good one for me though. Yeah. I I, I do like the riff. I mean the the riff's pretty cool, you know. I mean that's pretty cool, and you know, Dimes using some of those weird chords that he would later become really known for um, to, to give it really a kind of a wonky kind of feel here and there. But you know, and I, and I kind of the way the chorus sounds like, "Will we survive the sleep?" Like it's kind of you know old school monster movie ish kind of way to close out the line. <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I do like you know in the intro like his chord choices like on the on the you know the the clean part is really cool um mm-hmm. you know something something he would you know go back to time and again like where he just instead of just your standard clean, oh, here's this chord like he would add in this one wonky note to be like oh, what the hell was that just kind of yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think the one thing that really made him stand out as a guitar player is he wasn't doing the standard power chords like you know like metallica Three power chords, dun dun dun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, doing that shit, you know. So I think that's one reason why he, he was connecting, like that magical riffing. You know, it was like like Eddie Van Halen. There was nobody before him that was doing that. Yep, and I I don't think there's anybody doing it now. No, I, you I know, agree. Like you said, his chord choices were so like you know you mentioned a power chord. You know, it's like a you know a two fret thing, but. 
mm-hmm. you know, it's he reversed it. It was it was he's got that one chord that he does. He, he reverses the positioning instead of it being like a three five. He does like a five three, like right. just you know, it's you know, technical speak. But and it's 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 so weird. Like, and it, but it it sounds you kind of go, what the hell was that? Like, and it, it you know, for a four piece power band, basically, it really adds something unique to it that you would not get from you know a band that normally you know a four-piece right. metal band like that right so all right well now we get to the album closer which i think is one of the best album closers i've ever heard uh right. the art of shredding this is the uh vinnie paul did a shitload of cocaine song <laughs> <laughs> off of his off his ride symbol <laughs> exactly yeah i mean this this is like it kind of feels like to me like you know Dimebag obviously shines he's the star of pantera but this song has always kind of felt to me like Vinnie Paul just decided, like, all right, man, it's my turn, you know, back off, you know, like Mike Mangini on the new Dream Theater record. Where he's like, all right, the alien, check this out, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and he just, I mean, the whole time Vinnie's just, you know, and there's, you know, video of this stuff on the Pantera home videos of them playing this song, and he's, oh my god, the guy's yeah. just such a beast. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and like you were saying, man, there's, there's like nobody after these guys doing this. You know, there's, there's bands that they've influenced. And then, you know, there's bands that I think were kind of doing their own thing and kind of doing this, like Lamb of God is a band, I think, that kind of had, like, their, especially their drumming uh, is kind of like Vinnie Paul's a little yep. bit. You know, I mean, I'm not the biggest Lamb of God fan, but I can see that they kind of were doing this a little bit. Yeah. I, I saw them live once. It was... um on the on the final Slayer tour, and I I could see yeah I hadn't really listened to him but I mean the stuff I could hear the Pantera influence, right? And in what they were doing, and I think they were taking like that Pantera influence and making it their own, whether people like it or not. I, yeah, you know. Well, I thank God for that because like you know we were just talking about those you know the the Texas Pantera ish bands, like <laughs> it, it it's it's cool to take little bits of it but don't you know kind of try to sound exactly like it you know <laughs> like, but yeah so I mean. I mean, this is, you know, one of the cool things about Art of Shredding to me is how the kind of like the see, Brian is so much better at the actual music music speak than I am. I'm just like, eh, it does this thing like. But, you know, the, the in the verses, like it's almost like the main beat is on the up. You're like, you know, it's kind of instead of on the downbeat like it normally is, it kind of flips it around, which is really cool. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then and then the and then the chorus goes right back into the straight the straight ahead like like I mean it's really really cool so um you know and then that you know the 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 breakdown in the middle that you get that that super thrashy intro to that and I again Dimebag adding to his bag of tricks this is one of those solos he would do in later years that to me isn't really a solo it's a lot of like cool noises. Like right. the, the the dive screams and you know pulling yeah. it back up. He's making his like the elephant sounds. Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's and it, I miss a lot of those because like when he does them, it's like you don't really notice it because there's so much interesting shit going on. You're like, oh crap, he was just doing a quote unquote guitar solo. <laughs> like, but it blends in with the riffing so much. So yeah. and it's know. such a track for an album closer. You know it's. It's a song. It's not for. I mean, it's a popular song, so I, I, it's probably the most popular song in the second half of that record. But yeah, it's, it's a good closer. It's a good song to close with. Yeah, this is like okay. Well, you know, in case the last couple songs were a little wonky for you, we're here to remind you this is a fucking Pantera record you just right. listened to. 
right back to the like the first three or four tracks yes exactly exactly i i always kind of lump this one in like with heresy in a way because it, yeah. it's it's it kind of just it it really just goes um so i i think those songs pair pair nicely together right. uh, <laughs> jg3 says brian does the explaining and john does the beatboxing sound repro <laughs> sound reproduction of the songs <laughs> that's that's pretty accurate man i'm not i'm not gonna lie i i i know the parts i just don't know how to explain them properly with the right terminology that's like me man i just speak in sound effects so. yeah it, dude, it's <laughs> <laughs> we when i was doing my original band people would always be like why do you guys always talk about the ug and i'm like because we'd say okay this riff has to go ug 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 it's like it's an ug that's what it sounds like everybody knows what an ug is <laughs> Exactly. So, um, <laughs> I mean, if you honestly though, I'm still proud of that because that's what it sounds like. It's a ug ug ug. Like that's, it's what it is. It's a goddamn ug, man. <laughs> like, so, uh, quick question before we wrap up here. So, uh, Chris Aiken, um, are you familiar with X Hoarder? Have you ever listened to them? Uh, no, but I, I've I've heard of them, but I've never. Okay, yeah, Aiken says X Hoarder were doing it first, but didn't have the guitar player early to pull it off. Um. You know, I know there's a lot of there's been a lot of like stuff in the last few years about Exhorter saying that you know Pantera ripped him off. I I downloaded the, some of their stuff and I gotta say I don't really hear it. Mm. It's more it's it's straight ahead thrash to me. And I don't know if maybe I just caught a bad record or something or a record that doesn't really apply to the sound, but I didn't hear it. So if I mean that guy's saying that Pantera ripped him off, I mean. I I mean, you have to go check it out, and then we'll have to, I'll we'll have to talk offline and see what you think. Yeah. I, I I didn't hear it, man. I didn't hear it. So, I don't know. Uh, yep. T mine one hundred. He says I like Exhorter, but I don't really hear it either. Yeah, I just I I didn't get it. I I was waiting to hear, you know, something. I was like, oh man, look at look at this, man. I can hear. It. There was maybe like one or two little things. I was like, okay, that that sounds like something Pantera would do. But other than that, I'm like, this is a thrash band. Like this, I don't get it. So, uh, all right. So, um, well, I appreciate you coming on, Wayne. So, uh, yeah. as our special guest, give us uh, give us your final thoughts on Cowboys from Hell. I would put it in my top five metal albums of all time. Uh, Cemetery Gates, obviously, is my favorite song on the record, and probably my favorite metal song of all time. Just it's my gateway song. It's like it's like. It's like your first date. You never forget it, right? So that's the song that did it for me, and I can't really forget it. So, but as a whole, even the album cover, I mean, Vinnie Paul holding a sandwich, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, that's like my pose for all my photos, my vacation photos. You know, <laughs> it's my favorite Pantera record, and it's probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite, metal record of all time. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's one that never gets old. It's always constantly being spun. So awesome. Yeah. For me, uh, final thoughts. It, it, this is one I hadn't gone back to in a, in a bit. And it was awesome to do that. Cause I, I know I loved it. I mean, I love all the Pantera stuff. I'm a huge Pantera fan they're, they're probably, you know, like third, my third or fourth favorite band. I mean, behind dream theater and Van Halen and stuff, but, um, yeah, this, you know, Going back to it, just hearing kind of the start of that classic Pantera sound, it's just, mm. it, it just, I was really reminded of how 
you know, kind of groundbreaking Pantera really was and and how they're really impossible to replicate, as we talked about a few times tonight, you know, the, how musical they were for a metal band and, you know, Dimes guitar playing and, you know, the feel and the emotion they put into stuff that, you know, really, especially later in their career, got so really heavy, even some, some of the stuff to the point of being kind of considered brutal. But, um, you know, you know, Aiken said it, you know, this really... It, is interesting because you hear hints of what they would become, but it's really, it's kind of an outlier for their catalog, but it's still, it's still a fucking incredible record, man. So, yeah, it's just the um, blueprints, you know, the blueprints for, yeah. And I'm so glad you, I'm like, I, like I told you off air, I'm so glad you chose this record. Cause I was like, fuck yeah, let's talk some Pantera. <laughs> yeah, dude, let's do, uh, I'll do Vulgar next. We, that's a cool one to talk about too. That's, Let's do it. Yeah, well, maybe we'll maybe we'll get Aiken on if he if he's actually uh, healed up from his uh, arm problem he's dealing with, and we'll we'll have we'll have a Pantera roundtable. It'll be a new thing. We'll just go through the Pantera discography. That'll be cool shit, man. So, all right, well, Wayne, I appreciate you coming on, dude. Um, right on, uh, man. Anything anything you want people to know? Anything you're working on right now that you're allowed to tell us? I know you got a couple big things in the pipeline, but I don't know what you're allowed to say. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm working with uh, Arch Enemy on their re- reissue campaign. Um, they're reissuing all their old records, uh, first 10 records. So, yeah, I'm doing a, a video from each one of those that they're going to probably, I think, release in the end of April. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm working with those guys on that. I'm working on the new big Ariane show that's going to be in September. It's hard fucking work. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, I have, I've got to get up like 4 o'clock in the morning and start working on that again. Oh, God. Um, working with Yes on their new record, couple couple songs of those guys. Super nice, super hard to work with. <laughs> really, really. Um, yeah, uh, working with uh, the Molecule guys. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's uh, Simon Collins, uh, his dad's Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's this really super cool like prog, proggy Lincoln Park type sound to it. It's really cool. Um, yeah, and other than that, it's just the stuff that trickles in. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I still got to talk to you about getting some stuff for the show. I feel, yeah, you're always so damn busy. I'm like, I'm not gonna bother Wayne. <laughs> I'm doing be my pleasure. That'd be awesome. Yeah, well, one last thing from Aiken he says, watching hours of Angela Gossow in her prime, tough work there, <laughs> uh, dude. That's another guy that we can talk about, Jeff Lemus, that I think is like gonna be the dime bag of this era it's another guy who's completely original shredding got his own thing J- jeff Lemus is an amazing guitar player he's a beast he's such a beast yep well cool man well again thanks for coming on and uh thanks to all you guys in the chat for tuning in thanks to chris aiken for calling in uh don't forget you guys can be a part of the show live too if you go to tii.cmspn.com we can bring you on the air just like we did with chris aiken so uh, to Daniel Navarez Arojo and uh, Joseph Friend Discuss Metal Joe, Shinville General, JG3, and uh, Team Mind 100, all you guys in the chat, thanks for checking out another episode of Talking Into Infinity. We'll be right back here on Facebook, YouTube, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, and the CMSNetwork.com in two weeks. It will be Thursday, April 6th, and Brian and I will have plenty to talk about because the night before we will be in Pittsburgh taking in Queensryche with Marty Friedman. And uh, Marty Friedman just fucking rules. Oh, his band is so good. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be right back here in two weeks at those four locations. Wayne, hope everything is good, man. And uh, to the rest of you guys, 
We will see you soon, and as always, carpe diem.